0: Welcome to this special edition of Out of the Loop podcast, featuring four episodes of must-know Tyler Organizations and Organizers. I'm your host, Jane Neal. Let's begin. My guest today is Jackie Clay. Jackie currently serves as the Chief Executive Officer of East Texas Human Needs Network a collective action organization with over 100 community partners. She has over 15 years of experience leading nonprofit healthcare, and government entities. Prior to joining Ethan, Jackie served as the Executive Director of Family Promise of Greater Chattanooga and the Free Medical Clinic of Oak Ridge, both in Tennessee. She currently serves as the Board President of Social Works Advocacy Group, a Community Advisory Board Member for the University of Texas at Tyler's School of Medicine, chair of the Tyler Area Chamber of Commerce Veterans Committee and is a member of the Smith County Food Security Council. Jackie attends New Life Community Church in Tyler and lives with her son, Jalen, and her dog, Bailey. In her spare time, she likes to listen to sermons, audiobooks, and music. Welcome, Jackie Clay. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate this opportunity. You are very welcome. If someone was to ask, what is Ethan? What is East Texas Human Needs Network? What would be your elevator speech? Uh, I'd say that
1: Ethan is a collective of organizations and individuals that believe that everyone has the right to live well and that everyone can live well if given the opportunity. And that working together, we can create an environment for everybody to do that. Ethan works in three major areas. One is poverty education. We host workshops and simulations to increase people's empathy towards our neighbors who may have poverty as their experience. And we hope that by the end of one of our sessions, they understand that it's a a relationship that is the bridge from poverty to economic stability for individuals. And they can be part of, of bridging that gap. And another area where we work is collective action. We do a homeless point-in-time count for our county, and we also do a needs assessment every three years for our county. The third big area where we work is we manage an online directory of social services called 903help.org. It's one way that we connect our neighbors with available services in Anderson, Smith, Rusk, and Cherokee County. Right now, our database has over 150 unique organizations with various programs. So we try to be a connector for them.
0: Wow. Tell us how you came into this role.
1: I stumbled upon the job posting for the CEO position. And I read at the time, I wasn't even really seriously, or maybe you could say subconsciously, I was. I, I didn't even need a job, I had a job. Mm-hmm. But I read about the posting for the position at Ethan, and it just kept coming back to it. It just kept resonating with me and bringing me back and pulling me back. I have heard of organizations doing this kind of collective action work, and I have read about it. And it was the first example for me that seemed real and i thought i want to be a part of whatever community is doing that doing what tyler is doing where organizations are not working in silos they're communicating with each other they're being intentional about finding out what everybody is doing and they're bringing their resources to the table to leverage for the benefit of the greater the greater community it's like the unicorn that's in the far, far away It's happening in Tyler. It's in Tyler. The unicorn is in Tyler. And I've worked in different communities. I've worked in rural communities. I worked in urban communities. And I have seen what it's like to, to try to get things done when people are territorial and they're working in silos and they're not communicating. They're not being intentional about working on projects together. <laughs> so, I really wanted to be aligned with an organization that seemed to be getting it right. Mm-hmm. And in Tyler, Ethan, and all of the partners, in my opinion, were getting it right. And so I applied and I said, okay, God, if it's for me, it'll unfold. And if it's not, I'll let it be. But it wouldn't let me go. And uh, I got a call for an interview. Then I got another call for another interview, and then I got a job offer. And I said yes, and I hadn't even been to Tyler yet. Wow.
0: That's how excited
1: I was about it.:
0: Yeah, I didn't know how rare it is to have a collective action group.:
1: I've been practicing since 2000. I've been doing this for a while, and I had never seen it, not really. I'd been around groups that were trying. We were in the very beginning stages of talking about why it's important for us to work together, how the folks we served could benefit if we were intentional about collaboration. But it was the relationship-building phase that we were still in. That's the longest and hardest part of this kind of work, the time that it takes to build trusting relationships so that people will let down those walls and come out of their silo. And so Christina Folsom-Tolliver, who was the CEO before me, started Ethan in 2012, and she put the time in to create an environment to build those relationships. And so she did the heavy lifting and then gifted that to me. And so it's been amazing to see what she and all of the partners of Ethan have built over the years and how much can happen for our neighbors when we work together.
0: Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's incredible. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad that's the point at which you came in and, Mm -hmm. and the setup for you. Tell us what existing or emerging programs connected to Ethan are the most robust right now.
1: I think... Some of the work that's going to be the most impactful is the work that's going on in our economic well-being task force. So we have a group of Ethan members who are members, about a dozen, and they are working on a strategy to assist our neighbors who may fall into predatory loans, either through a title loan or a payday loan. We did a study recently And we surveyed 121 individuals who had taken out those kinds of loans with interest that could be up to 500% interest, Mm -hmm. right? And we asked them why they took out the loans. And all of them told us they took it out because it was a last resort. They needed money for living expenses, food, rent, utilities. Mm -hmm. And we took a look at, well, who's taking out these loans? And by and large, the folks that we surveyed senior citizens and veterans. And, of course, people who are Uh low-income. So these types of loans are being given to people who are our most vulnerable neighbors. Right. And if there's something that we can do to help protect them, that's what we want to do. We want to protect our neighbors. We want to tell them what alternatives exist in the community, either... By tapping into a social service organization or getting them to a point financially where they don't need it or helping them understand what other alternatives exist.
0: I learned so much. I think it was last spring when Ray Perryman came and just shared the statistics about how much money is getting siphoned out of Tyler in East Texas because of the lending.
1: Yes, you are 100 percent correct, Dr. Perryman showed us that every year our community loses over 30 million dollars and that means people aren't frequenting our small businesses they aren't going to plays they're not having dinner at restaurants they are that money is going off to some corporate headquarters that's more than likely not in the state of texas right. not only that One hundred and fifty one jobs are being lost every year in our community because people's cars are being repossessed. And so and they can't go to work. No car, no job. And our community
0: is losing money, money that could stay here. So as you dig into that data, it just becomes apparent that these trickle down effects hurt all of us. It does. It really does. It hurts all of us. Our
1: community loses in the finances, in the jobs, and the strain on our social services.
0: Right. I want to ask you something else. What population or issue would you like to see Ethan assist in the next few years? Is there something up and coming? Well,
1: I would love to if I could explore with some of our Ethan partners how we as an organization can help them do more in the area of homeless prevention and affordable housing. Mm -hmm. Daily, we get calls and requests for rental assistance. Yeah. And so I would love to explore ways with our partners that we can support grants they might write or grants that we could write to give funds to organizations who are working hard in our community to keep people from losing their homes or to rapidly rehouse individuals who are homeless. And I I think that we can can support our partners in that way by helping to bring them the resources that they really need. And so I think in a perfect world, that's what I would do. Now, my board of directors has not said (laughs) they want to do that. But I think if if there was a perfect world, that's what that's what I would want to do to get more money flowing to our organizations that are working hard in the trenches every day. Mm-hmm.
0: What can you tell us about our homeless numbers and and whether they're increasing? Well, they are increasing.
1: So uh, just recently, we conducted the Smith County point-in-time homeless count, and tell us what that is. So it is every year all across the country. We report to the Texas Homeless Network does a snapshot in time of the sheltered and the unsheltered individuals in our county. So in Tyler in Smith County, what we did is we gathered about 50 volunteers who went out on one day from eight to eight. And we went to the shelters and we went to homeless encampments and we observed our homeless neighbors and we counted them. So it's an underestimation because, of course, if they were out in a parking lot sleeping in their car after eight and we missed them, you know, they didn't get counted. But it does give us an idea of the numbers of homeless that we have in our community. And we do that every year. And so this year we counted 338 homeless, which is 76 more than we counted last year, which means our numbers of homeless are increasing, substantially increasing. And we did 301 interviews and then 37 observations. And it's not just men, it's not just women, it's homeless children as well. And I actually talked to some folks, four folks living in an older model Lincoln Navigator. Oh my. Yeah, we have some uh, pretty sad, sad situations. And of the 338, 65 of them shared with us that they have a mental illness. Mm-hmm it means that we've got more opportunity to do some work in the area of yeah. homelessness for our neighbors because the problem is is getting worse right mm-hmm. so lots of opportunity for us to think about how we can work together to create opportunities for people to transition into permanent housing and also how we can work together to keep them from becoming homeless in the first place yeah
0: I had the privilege of watching you interact with people at the Salvation Army on that point in time day. You did. I did. <laughs> I just came away from that thinking you were so good at this. Mm-hmm. There was no hint of awkwardness or I could just tell people were really at ease in your presence and um he seemed very comfortable.
1: But you know, God has a funny way of doing things, right? In my family. We've had folks who've dealt with homelessness and mental illness Uh and both at the same time. You know, so I actually have a sister who had some pretty severe schizophrenia and she was homeless and I would have to go out looking for her. And, you know, and when I was in Chattanooga, this was at a time where I was actually executive director of a homeless shelter. And. Even my own son has his own behavioral health struggles. And so it makes me really sensitive to how I treat people Mm -hmm. because I know that it doesn't take much. to It's not much that separates me from them. Mm -hmm. And that I would want somebody to be kind to me if it were me or if it were my sister or my son.
0: Would you just share some more about your personal life and how it has shaped you for the work you're doing now? Is there anything else you would add to, of course, the huge influences of your sister and your son? Yeah. Well, that I, I
1: love helping. And I think when I decided to get into social work, it was after I had been out of college for a little while. I, I got pregnant when I, with my son when I was 18. So I finished my first year of college and then I didn't go back for several years But I was thinking that I wanted to do something different with my life. I wanted to do something better. You know, I was living in public housing. I didn't have a car. I was what you would call a statistic. I had made all the mistakes that my family wished I wouldn't make. I really wanted to become the kind of person that I would be proud to be, you know, proud to know. Another one of my sister's, Encouraged me to go back to college because I'd done my first year of college. She encouraged me to go back. And at that point, I was hesitant. This was in the 90s. She sent me a packet. and We didn't have the Internet. She sent me this big, thick envelope full of stuff from the University of Tennessee at Knoxville, where yeah. she was. And I got it. And I read every piece of that paper. Uh-huh. I read it all. And I read every major and I was like, sociology looks kind of good, psychology looks kind of good, did social work, uh-huh. it just really resonated with me. And so I told my sister, if I get in, I will go. If I don't, I don't want to talk about it. Anymore. Mm-hmm. I got in. You got in. And it changed my life. And it it I would drive down the road. And I lived in a bed and they it. I got like this old ratty car. Somebody <laughs> stole the radio out of my car. And so I decided not to get another radio. So, <laughs> because I didn't have a radio, I would drive down the road and I would be imagining myself walking across the stage. Oh, that's good. That's and good. <laughs> I would feel like how it would feel, how proud I would feel of myself when I got that degree. And I'd actually started crying. I'm like, I don't even know what stage looks like. But in my head, I saw it clear as day and I felt it. That's what got me excited about this new life that I could create for myself. Yeah. The one that wasn't on food stamps and didn't have to take the bus and didn't have to struggle.
0: I feel like you just imagined another version of someone who was already you just a, older and wiser and farther down the road and you just stepped into it yep wow Yep. well my last two questions are are very much about what's dear to you mm-hmm. what's your great hope for east texas well my great hope for east
1: texas is that we can have a history of doing some good together and that it could flourish, and that somehow I can be a little bit apart, part, a little part of that flourishing. What do you wish more people in East Texas knew? I wish more people in East Texas knew about Ethan, and that they are welcome to come to our meetings. You don't have to be a nonprofit organization to join Ethan. Uh Uh-huh. You can be an individual who just wants to do good. You could be retired. You can be a student. But if you are interested in helping, if you are interested in addressing human needs and you want to work with other people who share that same passion, you can come to our meetings. We meet on the third Tuesday of every month at TJC West in room 104 of the RTDC building and you are welcome
0: Jackie Clay it's been such a pleasure having you thank you for sharing with us thank you so much for the opportunity
1: I'm grateful I'll come back anytime
0: you've been listening to a special episode of Out of the Loop podcast don't miss our next live show Out of the Loop season 9 Saturday April 15th at Liberty Hall at 7 p.m. Oh, oh,